Friends, I can tell you I'm more than ready to preach two back-to-back messages on the subject of thanksgiving. Like David in Psalm 23, my cup overflows. Last weekend was a not-to-be-forgotten experience in the life of our church. In a single weekend, we had almost as many baptisms as we have sometimes had in an entire year. And then this weekend, to come back and in four worship services to witnessed over 100 parents as they publicly stand and promise to bring up their newborn babies and young children to know and love the Lord. Only in the vocabulary of heaven is there a word that is appropriate for such times. It's a universal word, identical in every language. Hallelujah. Well, today, I want us to focus together on Dr. Luke's account of Jesus healing 10 lepers at once. Earlier in Luke chapter 5, Jesus healed a single leper. And after that happened, we read in Luke 5.15, the news about Jesus spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. Now, healing one leper of what was in that day, a dreaded and terminal disease, that's something notable. But 10 at the same time. We may wonder if Jesus is equal to such a daunting challenge, but we soon see what one author observed, that the mass of misery is no match for the majesty of the Master. Let's read about it. In Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. Now, on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. 
He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well or whole. Well, it was a pretty hopeless and forlorn group of lepers that huddled together outside one of many villages on the border of Samaria and Galilee. They were easily identified by their dirty rags that covered rotting flesh and disfigured faces. Their mutual misery forced these men of different races to band together, and it was a pitiful delegation. They were drawn to each other by common suffering and by permanent separation from the larger community, including their own families. Lepers were called the walking dead. They were removed from their homes, and they were forced to live in segregated colonies. They were not allowed to work. They were not allowed to worship with others. And into this desperate situation, Jesus walked, and things began to change. Lives began to change. It was no accident. The lepers met him there. It was a plan on their part. His reputation had preceded him. They knew that he was their only hope for healing. They decided they were not just going to give up and die. They were going to get up and travel to a place where they would most likely intercept him. And as he came near, they stood at a distance and cried out in a loud voice, not unclean, unclean, as they covered their upper lip. That was required by law. But instead, they cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. They called him by name. And they use the word master, and the Greek word for master here is the word that means chief commander. They recognized that Jesus was commander and chief over disease. question was, would Jesus have mercy? There's no doubt that he's capable. But is he compassionate? And there's no place in the four gospel accounts in the life and ministry of Jesus where he ever turned anyone away who cried out for his mercy. It was true then, and it is still true today, friends. It is the one prayer that He will, in His love and grace, always hear and always answer affirmatively. Jesus' mercy is ever ready to flow into the life of any sincere seeker. Well, the answer to the ten lepers came immediately. When He saw them, He said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. I want you to notice here, first of all, that, that Jesus approached the lepers. That wasn't done. If you came into contact with lepers, you ran the other way. But Jesus approached them. It says, when he saw them, not when he heard them. The only time that we know that Jesus healed at a distance, when he didn't draw near and see the person, was the servant of the Roman centurion in Matthew 8. But you know that even then, Jesus offered to go with him to his house to heal his servant. It was the centurion who said, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come to my home. Jesus just did not heal from afar. He drew near to those he healed so they could see his kind face and look into his 
eyes and be transformed by his compassionate love. Now, it sounds here like Jesus is sending them away. Go show yourselves to the priests. Is he saying that he can't be bothered? Is he delegating the responsibility to the priests? Not at all. No, his command for them to show themselves to the priest honored the law of Moses, which required that the unclean person, the leper, the diseased person, had to be officially declared clean in order to reenter society. He had to appear before the priest first. They were functioning as medical examiners. Now, at this point, I want to begin to lift from the text some life lessons for us from these lepers. And here's the way I want to do it. I want to say one good thing about all ten of them. <laughs> then I want to say something bad about nine of them. And then I'll close by saying something good about one of them. First, let me say something good about all ten of the lepers. Here it is. All ten were obedient. Verse 14 says, as they went, they were cleansed. Now, Dr. Luke is always very detailed in reporting the miracles of healing that Jesus performed. He's very specific about what happened. So we know that it was not until they obeyed the word of Christ and moved out in the direction of the temple to present themselves to the priests that they were healed. Now, they could have operated on the basis of human reasoning. They could have confirmed to each other that they were still infected. Why make a long, painful journey to Jerusalem if they were not yet healed? They could have argued with Jesus. They could have said, come on here, heal us first, then we'll go. But Jesus was testing their faith more for their benefit than His, that's always what a faith test is about, for what it can do for us, not for Him. Jesus was teaching them to walk by faith, not by sight, and there's a powerful lesson for us here. It wasn't until they moved out in obedient faith that they experienced His healing power. He gave them a directive, they obeyed, and boom, that's when the miracle of healing happened. That's when the lepers became leapers and that's the way faith works. Faith is trusting and obeying God, even if you don't have any visible, any tangible evidence, any physical evidence to support your decision. Nearly 200 demonstrated their faith in believers' baptism last weekend, trusting Christ as Savior, being obedient to Him as Lord. Hundreds of us just demonstrated our faith few minutes ago in the act of sharing together in a time of communion, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. And like the early church in Acts chapter 20, verse 7, we come together on the first day of the week to break bread, to be obedient in assembling around the Lord's table. Hundreds of us just demonstrated our faith by sharing together in a time of giving. God's Word commands that we measure our generosity against a tithe, 10% of our income. And we're obedient. We trust. We trust that God will provide everything we need when we obey Him in this. And though from a human reasoning point of view, it may be illogical to give generously a tithe or above, we obey in faith. 
we believe that 90% or 80%, whatever it is, will spend better than the whole 100%. Years ago, I remember reading about six foot three inch Englishman C.T. Studd. He left his lucrative sports career as a cricket professional to become a missionary, faithfully serving the Lord in China, India, and Africa until his death in 1931. C.T. Studd sacrificed his wealth, and he sacrificed his health. His life motto, if Jesus Christ is God and died for me, then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. Charles Thomas Studd was impacted by the words of Jesus in John 14, 23. If you love me, you will obey me. He was renowned for his relentless study of the Gospels, and Studd once said, I have studied the words of Jesus in the Gospels to find everything he has commanded me to do, and I have put a cross beside what I have obeyed and put an X beside what I have not obeyed, and my heart is ashamed. I've always been inspired by his example of desiring first to learn and then to obey the commands of Jesus. Here's the thing. Unless there is obedience, there is no promise of a blessing. The blessing of healing, the blessing of cleansing was visited on these lepers as they went. In other words, as they obeyed, they were blessed and not until. Second Kings chapter 5 tells a story about another leper, a man named Naaman. He's a great, highly regarded man, military commander of the king of Aram. He contracted leprosy. It was a death sentence. A young Israelite girl told Naaman's wife about the prophet Elisha that she believed could cure Naaman of this dreaded disease. So Naaman loaded up 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, 10 Hart Schaffner and Mark's suits, along with a letter from the king himself. And he pulled up in front of Elisha's house with his entourage, with his horses and his chariots. But Elisha must have thought he needed a lesson in humility because he didn't even come out of his house. He sent a messenger outside to say, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored. Well, Naaman got mad. He thought Elisha should have spoken to him personally or maybe prayed over him, given him some personal attention, special attention. And he thought the waters of Damascus were cleaner than the Jordan River. So he, he went away in a huff. But his servants intervened, and they wisely counseled him to obey the prophet. What did he have to lose, they said. So Naaman did it. He went to the Jordan River, and he dipped himself six times, and he came up after the sixth time and he was still a leper. But after the seventh time, his flesh was restored like that of a young boy. And then Naaman went back to Elisha and he said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. And I will never again make burnt offerings or sacrifice to any other God but the Lord. Obedience will produce 
God's blessing in your life, in my life. Never doubt it. It is the foundation of our faith. Obedience begets blessing. Now let me say something bad about nine of them. Nine were thankless. Verses 17 and 18, Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? You see, all ten of the lepers cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us, but only one returned to say, Praise my soul, the Lord of heaven and earth. There are no, no two ways about it. Nine of them were ungrateful. Nine of them said, Christ can wait. And it is not difficult, is it, to sense the disappointment of Jesus here in his words? Listen, it matters whether we're grateful people. It matters whether we say thank you to God. So why would these lepers not return with thanksgiving? Who knows? Nine lepers. Here are nine possible reasons. One wanted to wait and see if the cure was going to last. One wanted to be the first in line to get started with the reentry process. It was quite an ordeal. In Leviticus 14, it's spelled out. He wanted to be first in line. He wanted to get started with the paperwork. One thought he would catch up to Jesus later. You know, maybe it was, uh, maybe it was a marriage that he had planned that was interrupted when he was declared a leper and separated from life. And maybe he had a new baby born in his family. Maybe it was his business that had ceased to thrive and he wanted to get back and take the reins again. Maybe one of them decided that he really never had leprosy in the first place. Maybe one thought that he would have gotten well anyway. Maybe one decided that he wanted to honor the priests after all. Maybe one said it was just a coincidence. Maybe another one said any rabbi could have done it. Maybe one of them said that God owed him one anyhow. Well, my point is they were all thankless. They all left their gratitude unexpressed. They all left thank you unsaid, and it was wrong, very wrong. Karl Barth says all sin basically is ingratitude. And I think the Disappointment of Jesus here is reflective of the disappointment of God at how few people actually express thanksgiving to Him. Many Americans are too busy to acknowledge God by expressing sincere thanks. Or they're convinced that they deserve what they have. They've worked hard for it, so why thank God? Kind of like Jimmy Stewart's patriarchal character in the movie Shenandoah. He sits down at Sunday dinner with his family and he prays, Lord... We worked hard to plant these crops. We watered, and we fertilized, and we cultivated, and we harvested the crops. We wouldn't have food on this table today without our hard work. But thanks just the same, Lord. Or maybe like Bart Simpson's mealtime prayer. Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. And some people may see the humor in that line, but I think it reveals a deep-seated ingratitude, arrogance that resides in many hearts. 1 Timothy 4.2 says, God provides food to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. 
Now you put out dog food in a dog bowl and you put milk in a cat's bowl and they come right up to it and they start lapping it up. We're not animals. I'm always encouraged when I see a family humbly give thanks in a public place, aren't you? 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for that is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. It says, Be thankful in all circumstances. It does not say, Be thankful for all circumstances. We don't have to be thankful for bad things that happen, but we can be thankful in bad things that happen. Matthew Henry, an early American preacher who's written a commentary on the entire Bible, was once robbed. And most people would think, this is not a circumstance in which you could give thanks. But he did. Here's what he wrote. I'm thankful that during these years I've never been robbed before. <laughs> I'm think thankful that even though they took my money, they did not take my life. And although they took all I had, it wasn't much. Finally, I'm grateful that it was I who was robbed and not I who robbed. Try that. Try that if you're going through a difficult time. Find at least three things in your situation for which you can thank God. You know, I've often read this account and wondered about these nine ungrateful lepers. I've wondered if these are the percentages, if, if this is what is representative, that 90%, 9 out of 10, don't thank God. I hope it's not that bad. But I do wonder sometimes. Well, let me say one good thing about one of these lepers. I said one good thing about all 10 of them. I said something bad about nine of them. I want to say something good about one of these lepers, and that is, he was thankful. One was thankful. Verse 15, one of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you whole. One man was moved by gratitude to acknowledge the significance of what had been done for him. And a grateful heart knows that its first and highest duty is to give thanks. And so he turned back. Instead of saying, Christ can wait, he said, life can wait. He pushed pause on his excitement to return home to his family and friends and his work and activity. A miracle had occurred. The awful, incurable disease that had isolated him from life and insulated him from love was healed by the power of Jesus, and he couldn't contain his joy. He praised God in a loud voice. He didn't leave anything unsaid. Threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And this is a kind of unselfconscious praise that makes some people uncomfortable. But listen, if it is sincere, we ought to enter into the spirit of it. Now, I know that we're all wired up differently, but don't use being an introvert as an excuse for being an ingrate. It's good for all of us to spend time at the feet of Jesus. Falling at someone's feet is a picture of ultimate submission and worship. And we see the healed leper here. He's found his place at the feet of Jesus. Next weekend, we're going to see that Mary found her place at the feet of Jesus in John chapter 12. 
A once sinful woman at Simon's house spent time at the feet of Jesus, washing his feet with her tears. John said in Revelation 1.17 that when he saw the glorified Son of God, he fell down at his feet as though dead. In Revelation 5.8, the four living creatures and 24 elders who represent all the redeemed of all the ages fell down at the feet of the Lamb who is on the throne. And don't you think probably Peter was at the feet of Jesus when he said, Lord, depart from me, I am a sinful man. Don't you think Thomas was on his knees at the feet of Jesus when he said, my Lord and my God. It's good for us to find our place at the feet of Jesus because now those feet are nail-pierced for you and me. And it doesn't have to be in public, friends, but find a time and find a place to prostrate yourself at the feet of Jesus. And don't miss this little qualifying statement in the text. After he praised God in a loud voice, after he threw himself at Jesus' feet, thanking him, it says, and he was a Samaritan. Now, the last place any self-respecting Samaritan would want to be is prostrate at the feet of a Jew. But you see, racial divisions, they just don't matter anymore when you've been healed and saved by Jesus Christ. Samaritans were down and outers. So why does it so often seem that it's the least likely who are the most grateful, the least likely who are the most effusive in their praise and unrestrained in their gratitude? Why are the least blessed often the most grateful? Shouldn't it be the other way? Shouldn't it be that the most blessed are the most grateful? And yet, Jesus said that it's often the most blessed, who are the least grateful. He said in Matthew 9, 19, 24, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In James chapter 2, verse 5 says, Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? I can tell you this, I do not want a malnourished believer from a low caste system in India to beat me to the feet of Jesus. I do not want a martyred believer from a persecuted family in Mali to beat me to the feet of Jesus. I am most blessed. And I do not want to be less grateful than those who have suffered much. There is a final word here from Jesus to the one thankful leper, the one who said it, the one who shouted his praise and thanksgiving. Jesus said, rise and go. Your faith has made you whole. Now, there's a difference between being healed and being whole. Ten lepers were healed that day, but only one was made whole. Until heartfelt, humble gratitude is your consistent response to Jesus Christ, you'll never be a whole person. And if ingratitude and unresponsiveness to God is more deadly than leprosy, and it is, then those nine were in worse shape after they were healed than before. 
Only one returned to Jesus and was made whole. So, how many does it take to encourage the heart of the Lord? Just one. Just one. He said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. He's just one. And here to the leper, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you whole. I wonder, I wonder if you're that one this morning. Maybe you were here last weekend. Or maybe you heard about what happened. And something inside you said, I'd come. Why not now? Why not be that one this morning? 